Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. If you've just clicked the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Oh, need a minute to get something to write with? But don't worry, I'll give the number again right after the commentary. Or if you like, you can Twitter me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. The time has come for us to learn, to analyze and scrutinize the things that we have conveniently come to believe as factual through repetition from what is actually the real truth. We have somehow been led to slaughter by our refusing to ask the questions that would hopefully make sense of the rhetoric, if indeed the rhetoric made any sense at all. We have our suspicions for good reason. So often we find it easier to go along, to get along, rather than ask the questions that would lead us to the truth. Have we grown so accustomed to being lied to that the lie has become the thing that we desire? Have we lost our taste over the years for what is real and factual because we would rather be entertained than informed? 
How is it that we would rather focus on one tiny fragment of the aftermath than the root, source, and the cause? What then stops us from opening the debate that would bring about the key changes needed to break the cycle of injustice? Have we been made to feel powerless, or are we just unconcerned? What will it take to wake up America? In this age of information technology, there's more usable, factual resources available to the average individual through the Internet that could have ever been available to the most learned scholar just 15 years ago. But we still choose to be spoon-fed rather than research, debate, and digest the truth for ourselves. Now we find that we are so brainwashed that our attention now locksteps to the next scandalous, exaggerated, emotion-driven headline, while the truth sits unnoticed, in plain sight, yet another day. Well, I for one will not be a part of this brainwashing of the masses, this decline in intellect, this surrender of conscience. So where do you stand in the scheme of things? Free thinker with a mindset to seek out and devour the truth? or just another cog in the wheel of blind complacency? Well, of course the choice is yours. But as for me, no matter how much garbage you try to heap in my direction, I will always maintain a healthy appetite for a measure of truth. Hi, I'm Michael Fordham, host of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. I want to take a quick minute to talk to you about Young Lives DC 34. Young Lives is a unique, cutting-edge, nonprofit Christian organization designed to empower and equip pregnant and parenting teen moms to become productive citizens in the community. A program that partners teens and mature Christian women to provide teen girls in crisis with timely encouragement, guidance, and ongoing support. Through the power of presence, Kids and teens' lives are dramatically impacted when caring adults come alongside them, sharing God's love. Because someone believes in them, they begin to see that their lives have great worth, meaning, and purpose. This is just the first step in a lifelong journey. The choices they make today, based on God's love for them, will impact their future decisions, the careers they choose, the marriages they form, and the families they raise. And all of this can be traced back to the time when a young life leader reached out and entered their world. For more information or to get involved, check out their webpage at www.younglives.younglife.org. Or if you're in the D.C. metropolitan area, call 202-399-7017. Welcome back, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. And if you just clicked in or you're listening on our Facebook page, um, well, welcome to give us a call. If you like, you can give us a call at 347-326-9470. Today, we're going to be talking about Haiti and Haitian relief. And we're going to be talking with Muno Belgard, who has actually been on the ground, has actually been working through his company trying to 
bring some relief to the Haitian situation. Um, Kozenu is the product of numerous discussions that took place about Haiti since the devastating January 12th earthquake. And what they do is created a medium to continue the discussion about Haiti and help Haitian people to be able to fend for themselves. Muno Belgard, welcome to A Measure of Truth. Hi, how are you doing, Michael? I'm I'm great, man. It's really, really good to to have you on and um, to really reacquaint people with the situation that's going on in Haiti. And, and tell us a little bit about your background. Of course, you are Haitian as well, but tell us a little bit about your concern about the Haitian people and why you decided to actually get your hands dirty and travel back there after the earthquake and lend a hand. Well, you're right. I am Haitian. I was born in Haiti. I moved to the States in 1987, right after they toppled um, the dictator in Haiti, which they be Dr. Valier. Um, when the earthquake happened on January 12th, I actually was numb. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what to do. I felt helpless. Uh, a friend of mine saw an opportunity for me to travel to Haiti on January 22nd to lend a hand. I was not a medical professional, but I, I speak Creole, which is our language, very fluently. Uh, and I figured that I could at least be a translator for the numerous doctors and other medical professionals who were in Haiti at the time. So I think when we were sitting back in the States watching all the footage, I didn't know what it is that moved me. I just know that I was moved. And when I got there, I realized what moved me was the fact that you have millions of people in Haiti who, before the earthquake, were living uh, just on $2 per day, living a horrible, horrible life. And the earthquake was a reminder that these people were in this situation. So it, it's, it, that's what really moved me, seeing the pain, seeing the sorrow that my brothers and sisters in Haiti were going through. While over here, though I complain sometimes, my life is a, a million times better than what they were going through and, and now are going through after this earthquake. Now, tell us, how long had it been since you had been back to Haiti when you returned after the earthquake? 2003 was the last time I was in Haiti. Wow. So uh, when you were back in Haiti back in 2003, was this just a trip for visiting family, or what was this trip yeah, about? It was, it was a trip to just to visit family, just to reconnect with folks I hadn't seen in a long time, because before 2003, the last time I was in Haiti was um, 1987 when we, when I left. Um, mm. Just to re really reconnect with, with the country um, and, and also have a good time. Haiti is a great, great place to have a good time. It's a beautiful country. Uh, unfortunately, when we hear or, or talk about Haiti, we mainly hear about what's going on in the capital, but we don't talk about the beautiful provinces, the palm trees, the beautiful beaches, all the things that Haiti has to offer to this day. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, now give us a, a bird's-eye view of when you actually landed, and um, what was it like to be able to land in an earthquake-devastated um, area like that? Were the well, runways... We well, we weren't able to land in Haiti because we, we went to Haiti 10 days after the earthquake. So you can imagine, uh, you know, right. uh, like many other uh, humanitarian uh, groups, we had to go through Dominican Republic, drive six hours and took the capital. Um, and as we were driving, we just saw the, the devastation that the earthquake caused. Uh, the, the, the people whose lives are completely uprooted, it, 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 folks were on the street and, um, 
it, it was it was unreal. It was absolutely unreal. Um, I didn't think I. It felt like I was driving through a war zone, and someone had just dropped a bomb somewhere, because of all the rubble, of all the broken buildings. Um, just, it was absolutely unbelievable seeing this. And the other part about it is just seeing people living their lives on top of all that chaos. You right. had, you know, merchants who had to set up shop again because they had to feed their families right next to a, a building that had been crumbled. And a lot of people believe till this day that there are a lot of people who weren't rescued who are still in these buildings who are buried alive. Um, so the the estimate of how many people actually died during that earthquake ranges from 300 to 500,000 people because there are a lot of folks who are, you know, so they remain unclaimed. So what about what about your family? Well, my family, God is good to us. My, my, my family was fine. Our home was, was destroyed, but it was, it was a tiny home that we put on our land in Haiti and, and um where my, my family's been able to do fine. We have two tents, two huge tents now on the property that uh, our family constructed. Uh, they, they have bedrooms in it. You should see how they've adapted to this new life. Mm. Living under a tarp. And, and I remember going to Haiti uh, again, because I've been to Haiti three times since the earthquake. I I traveled back to Haiti in September to celebrate my birthday because I've been on a mission now to really, you know, and we'll talk more about that mission to close uh, a new, the project I started. Um, I think folks have really just reconnect to Haiti, not just solely, you know, going out there to do humanitarian work, but just know that it's a it's a country that's about 45 minutes to an hour from Miami. There are a lot of people there who, who desperately need for other folks to just reconnect to Haiti in a way that brings them opportunities. Wow. Now, now tell us a little bit about the situation now as opposed to how it was when you first got there after the earthquake. I, I'm sure there's been some improvement, but there's been some other natural disasters that have occurred as well. Well, I think the biggest difference because um, I went to Haiti in January, went back in April, and went back again in September, and we're planning to go back in February or March. Um, it's, it's, I think the biggest difference that I noticed is uh, the dire health situation that people were in. Though so now we had the cholera outbreak, but, um, mm-hmm. but before that, when I went in April, there, we didn't have to worry about an outbreak. But the biggest difference is not seeing that many people walking around who were, you know, visibly in pain. I remember mm-hmm. on, on when we were in January, we were, give, we were providing medical attention to people that had broken bones right in the middle of the street. I remember there was one guy, he must have been no more than 18 years old. He came up to us, he had a towel around his face, and his face looked, one side of his face looked very disfigured. And when I, you know, when I was translating for him, because we, we had to translate for him to see one of the doctors, he said the side of a building fell on him, and it mm. crushed half of his face. Uh, and what he's been really living on are just uh, different pain medication, medication that some of the doctors provided to him, and he had been going without it for three days uh, mm. without the pain medication. So he was in excruciating pain. The um, the doctors then kind of, you know, they cleaned him up and, and provided him with new medication. Just kind of seeing his face. The other thing is doing surgery on, on women. You had pregnant women. Uh, you had women whose feet were completely cut off, and it just the sight was just it, it was something else to see. It, to see hundreds of people living under tarps at the time, they they didn't have all the tents that they have now. 
It was just tarps and anything that can provide them shelter from the sun. They're mm-hmm. just living there and just now imagine this: strangers and tops of strangers of, uh, were now forced to live in an open park under a tarp. Mm-hmm. So you can only imagine the kind of safety, security concerns that these people, the families, mothers and fathers, have to think about on a nightly basis as they put their children to rest. Wow. So, yeah. It's it's yeah. it's a it's, a, it, it's it's something that I think seeing it once you once you go to Haiti and you see that the people are living it in a condition like that, it, it's hard for you to just walk away and and just leave it to someone else to fix. Um, I think you figure out a way for you to be part of the solution mm-hmm. because the problem is so overwhelming. Uh, I don't want for any of your listeners to believe that any group or entity, not the Red Cross, not the Clinton Foundation. No one has it, knows exactly what it's going to take to get this country to, to a point where it actually has 21st century standards. Because before the earthquake, you had folks still walking 8 to 10 hours a day just to be able to make 5 to $10 to feed their families. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of issues going on in Haiti right now that it's, it's, it's going to take involvement, uh, you know, the active um, listening active participation, active caring for Haiti. Um, it's not just sending money, and, I, and I've said this to a lot of friends, it's not just sending money to, to Haiti. It's really been more about, you know, continue to ask the question and urge the legislators, American legislators, to demand more from the Haitian government and those doing business with Haiti uh, as it relates to just the basic quality of life needs that many Haitians go without. Now, what... what I- well, what power does the government have there now? I mean, and what is left of, you know, the powers that be that can actually help the people there? Well, the government has a tremendous amount of power. I think is how they use that power remains the question. Uh, because I think right now there are a lot of Haitians living outside of Haiti who are, because they're not really familiar with Haiti. I think like many Haitians living outside of Haiti before, like me before the earthquake, we did, we we all kind of just labeled the government corrupt, and we we didn't really demand more of them. I think now it's demanding more of the government to take a con- to really focus on decentralizing the country, so that they can empower lo- localities, local municipalities, to be able to provide direct services to these folks. So the, the government does have power. It's working closely with the Clinton initiative because they control. The majority, well, they control all the money right now that's going to Haiti because Haiti doesn't really have the government, um, like its budget. It will, will, the majority of its money will have to come from the pledges that were made. So the government can use their, and they also have a seat in the um, Reconstruction Commission. They, they have veto power in the Reconstruction, on the Reconstruction Committee. So they, they have power. It's just now what they need is, is someone to, someone with the expertise uh, who knows how to translate money into policy. And and a lot of us are concerned that for a long time the Haitian government didn't concern itself too much with setting up infrastructure. Um, And we're all afraid because we're we're thinking at at, at which step, when will they begin, how will they begin, and how they will sustain it. So there are things that are happening. A lot of us are just thinking about how do we prevent Haiti from becoming a welfare state uh, and how do we prevent, you know, Haiti from having a government that 
doesn't know how to basically control the aid coming into Haiti. Haiti has more than 20,000 nonprofit organizations doing work there, but there's really no blueprint. Everyone is kind of doing their, their own thing. Um, it's just getting this government to be proactive and running the country properly. That's what a lot of us, especially those of us who are educated outside of Haiti, um, and who have worked for the mm. government, uh, for, for other governments, uh, we're looking at this government to see which part of the, the special skills that different government agencies here in America um, perform, different services that they render, and how that can translate into Haiti and, and Haiti's government, given its very, very limited resources. Now, tell us a little bit about what do you think could um, happen. I mean, besides people just being able to survive, you're talking about re building infrastructures and things that were, you know, lacking in Haiti even before the earthquake. How, how can this be accomplished and still take care of the people at the same time? Because it looks like their needs aren't being met as yet. Well, I think one of the, the one of the biggest issues that has to happen now is for the international community not to look at Haiti as though they're a bunch of folks who are unable to think uh, for themselves. I think right now there's a demand from the international community to hold the Haitian government accountable. But I don't want people to think that Haiti doesn't have the intellectual capacity to move itself forward. Um, I think that's, that's really the biggest thing right now is how do we get the Haitian folks at the driver's seat so that they, they'll figure out how to feed and clothe each other. Because the intelligence is there. It's just that before people didn't feel as though they needed to, to, to involve themselves in Haiti. I think when, once the construction begins, you'll have a lot of families who will be able to you know, you have a lot of men going to work. You know, in Haiti, with the way the culture is, it's a very merchant-oriented kind of culture. Right mm -hmm. now, there's a lot of women who are in the marketplace. And because of the because of the earthquake, that hasn't been happening. So you've had a lot of people who are just sitting around. I think once the reconstruction begins, once we have an idea about how to rebuild this country in a way that mirrors the different people's financial capacity, the conversation that we've been having is you can't go from earning $2 a day to someone giving you a house that, you know, is cost 75000 to make. We saw something, we saw what happened in the United States when you gave people homes they can afford. So I think in, right. in Haiti, once we figure out the blueprint on how mm -hmm. to get these people, how to get them shelter, how to get them infrastructure, then we give it to them to build. Because the money is there. Right now, a lot of us are upset because a lot of the different contracts that that were born from the earthquake, there's been no big contracts. A lot of foreign companies have these contracts. And oh. what's going to happen is that they're going to hire Haitian folks just to do labor, but not really to set up what Haiti needs, which is a middle class. Mm -hmm. um, and also what Haiti is lacking is are, are more professionals working outside of government in Haiti. Right. Um, so those are the conversations a lot of us who who are Haitian and who grew up outside of Haiti are saying, you know, we can, this country doesn't need you to come in and give it the A through Z on how to rebuild itself. What it needs is helping it figure out one is how, how to get how to possibly recycle the rubble, get them to mm -hmm. see how do how do we mm -hmm. reintroduce manufacturing in Haiti. So all the answers are there. 
Mm-hmm. It's just really getting people to understand that um, Haiti is just not going to. I lost you for a second, Mona. Can you hear me? Huh? What'd you say? I just need for um, the international community to to be patient and to have more confidence um, in the Haitian workforce. Okay. Well, we got some background noise. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back, and we'll speak a little bit more about Haiti with Muno right after this. Okay. Hi, I'm Michael Fordham, host of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. And I want to take a moment to talk to you about a heinous crime against humanity that plagues our nation, and yes, believe it or not, communities just like yours. Here's something you can do today to lend your support in the fight against human trafficking, also known as modern slavery. For example, Tanya was only 11 when she was forced to use her body for her own survival and the perverse desires of others. Now 18, Tanya knows no other life. She can't even remember when she was able to choose how she wanted to dress. Tanya dreams of being a teacher one day, and with the help of Bridge to Freedom programs and your support, they can empower her and others like her to move from surviving to thriving. You can make a huge difference in the life of a survivor this year through your support and donations to Bridge to Freedom Foundation. Bridge to Freedom is a nonprofit organization that provides aid to survivors of slavery who now live in the U.S., such as former child soldiers and victims of sex trafficking and forced labor. The cornerstone of Bridge to Freedom's work is personal and professional development to help survivors adapt and thrive in their new lives and communities and find work to support themselves. The Bridge to Freedom Foundation needs your support to help people just like Tanya. They need your urgent action to ensure that they can continue to provide clothing and health and beauty services to these survivors. These are not only important for rebuilding self-esteem, but are crucial to finding employment. They're also in great need of storage containers and clothing racks to organize and store donations. While donations of needed items are vital, one sure thing that will help to stop the spread of this injustice and prevent it from thriving undetected is educating yourselves about human trafficking or slavery and knowing the signs and the proper authorities to contact if you become aware of a victim in crisis. Find out more at bridgetofreedomfoundation.org or if you have a reason to suspect that someone may be a victim of human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline on 1-888-373-7888. Multilingual call specials are on standby 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. All calls are confidential. Welcome back, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and we're talking with Muno Belgard about the current and ongoing crisis in Haiti. Now, Muno, tell us a little bit about what do you think um, is needed right now, and what do you project to do about the situation, and how can we help you in your plan? Well, uh, there are several ways. Um, I, I think folks can join me. And, and what it is that we're trying to do in Haiti. One is to really remain uh, active, actively involved, and in, in just when you hear anything about Haiti, read it. It just you know just don't assume that it's the same old news where there's corrupted government or there's, there's things that are to stay on there. Really read it and see where you could lend your expertise or where you could lend your support. If it's just calling your U.S. legislators to urge them to support 
whatever initiatives that are going to get um, ownership and control into the hands of, of, of the Haitian Haitian government, but at the same time demanding that they are held accountable. And this was done recently. For example, a few months ago, there were about 19 prisoners in the Haitian prison that were, that were murdered. Uh, the U.S. Mm. government, I think one of the senators, I can't remember which name right now, but he pretty much demanded that uh, we ha- we find out what happened to these prisoners before we move forward in providing aid. And for a long time, this this wasn't the case in Haiti. Uh, you know, politicians or police officers or anyone in the military or with any kind of uniform felt as though that they were the beginning and end to any, you know, to to the rule of law. I think that's what is going to really mean what happens to Haiti in the future, which is holding people accountable to do what they're supposed to do, and once they're done doing it, for them to move on. So that's one of the biggest ways we can help. The people who are tired of giving money to Haiti and not seeing any results, the way they can step in now is really demanding uh, accountability from folks. And secondly, is you know, a lot of places in Haiti still need financial support from the global community. Um, I've been urging people to not just donate to one of the bigger organizations, but find a smaller organization to work with because these folks have personal relationships with with nonprofit organizations that are Haitian-born, that are controlled by Haitians, and they're able to, con- to follow these uh, organizations for years and years to come. I have been a board member for one in Haiti since about um, I want to say about 10 years now, and it's been doing great work in Haiti for 12 years. So all of those things are there. And the other part is really if you know someone who has a skill or who's looking to do something, to, I, I encourage everyone to visit Haiti. I think right now Haiti needs a rebirth similar to what happened in Brazil. Um, we, we have a beautiful country. Uh, we have some of the best oceans and best beaches. I know a lot of companies are, are looking to, to build resorts in Haiti, so we want people to start thinking about Haiti as a place to have their weddings. I remember in the in the 1960s and 70s, a lot of people used or traveled to Haiti for for their honeymoons. You know, that's one of the ways that uh, Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton got involved in Haiti. They had their honeymoon there. Um, it's, it's really for people to kind of yes, the life in Haiti is tough, uh, but really focus on the bigger picture, the full picture of the country which is we do need the humanitarian aid, but we also need folks to think about Haiti for other purposes as well. We need for companies to set up shop in Haiti. So right. those are some of my ideas on how I think we can uh, we can move forward. Now, tell us about some of the projects that will you will be doing directly to be to be able to sort of help Haiti in your um your new um company that you're putting together to address this issue as well. Okay, so we've, we've started this uh, effort called COSE NUNS. COSE means issues and NUNS means ours, so it stands for our issues. Uh, right now what we've been doing is really figuring out ways to bridge the gap between Haitians living, of, living outside of Haiti and Haitians living in Haiti, uh, whether it's through current events or recently what we did is we interviewed all the presidential candidates and we aired some of the interviews on our, on our not our website, but on our Facebook page. So your mm. um, your audience members can go to Facebook and they could do a search for Cozy New. It's spelled K O Z E N O U, and they could request to become our friends so we could keep them informed on on all Haiti related news. The other part project that we're working on 
is figuring out how to get Haitians, you know, ranging from 18 to 45 to 50 to really reconnect back to Haiti. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, what I've been telling folks, people of my my mother's generation, you know, in their late 50s and 60s, they've done a lot. What they need is they're looking for folks to pass the torch on to. Because right now Haiti is going to need more Haitians to put their skills and their expertise back into the country, not necessarily by moving there, but by, but by making sure that the standards that we have for the different services that are, be, that are being offered in Haiti actually of, of, equal, of quality like we get here in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what this project, Kose New is about, is how do we bridge the gap between Haitians outside, friends of Haiti, and also the needs of the country outside of a humanitarian reach. That's that's one, you know, that's one of the biggest biggest uh, concerns of ours, which is when people think of Haiti, they just kind of see it as a bastion to give rather than to take. We want folks to go out there and take things from Haiti, like take their services, to go out there and and take time to enjoy our beautiful beaches, enjoy our, our cuisine, because you know Haiti has a lot to give as well as you know not just receive. Mm-hmm. And, and just help to paint a picture because, of course, this isn't affecting the whole country. Um, there are places that you can go that you don't have the issues. I mean, sure, people are concerned about the things that they hear about the cholera outbreak and, um, you know, help them to understand, too, the reason for that is, of course, uh, the lack of clean water in that particular area. Yeah. So um, explain a little I mean, bit about You're right. And I, and I think, you know, the, the news here in the States, it, it, it does Haiti – you know, it's like a double-edged sword, right? It's, it's, it has good and bad. The cholera outbreak has been mainly impacting the, uh, you know, really poor people who do not have clean running water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, right now we haven't been encouraging too many people to travel to Haiti until there's a better hold uh, or under uh, outbreak. But I, you know, I've, I've been reading a lot of articles uh, about what different medical professionals are doing to it to gain control of this. I can see this passing over by the summertime when we, we have a better understanding on how to um, educate more people about purifying their water. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now we do have a, you know, in our school in Haiti, we have a pump on site on my land. Um, in Haiti we have a pump on site that we, we generate our own water from a well. And that, that that's one of the biggest things we, we you know we get to our families to listen to we get our friends to to read about it, is how do you drink clean water and, mm-hmm. and the importance of not you know brushing your teeth with you know water that you're getting from the well. Uh, so right now it's, it's the education, but I, I think once that gets done, um, we get a better hold on that. Is I think as we're pushing more humanitarian aid for Haiti, one of the biggest things that can help Haiti is getting more folks to really look at it, Haiti as a place where, you know, they, they can see um, they can see some growth there mm-hmm. for themselves as far as it relates to investments or just really enjoyment. Because there, there are a lot of hotels in Haiti that are standing right next to the beaches. Um, you know, right now, a lot of the humanit- folks doing humanitarian aid in Haiti, once they're off work, they're enjoying a lot of beautiful beaches. When you go to Haiti at any time, you're seeing a lot of foreigners enjoying uh, what Haiti has to offer. 
And um, one of the things you need to do when you go there the next time you go, you need to, to take a, a camera and take some pictures of those folks just enjoying those beautiful beaches in the areas that are still the way they were before and um, post those. And we can continue to try to get people to see the reality of um, this is more focused in a general area, the earthquake and the um, the tragedy itself and the rebuilding. But a lot of those areas are still intact. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely correct. I, I, we, we do need to do that, and, and that's part of the, um, you know, I have some video footage of, of some of those locations. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm getting ready to post some of those on our Jose New Facebook page. You're absolutely okay. correct. Because people need to see that, you know, we do need, we do need more help, but the, it's not just sending money. The help that we need is also setting up manufacturing in Haiti in a way that, you know, folks are paid. Um, wages that are comparable to other places, uh, but you know, I think that there's a lot of room right now to get Haiti to be to be where uh, it can be. It, it doesn't have to be uh, that country that is mired in political corruption or um, you know upheavals. I, I think now that the global community is is really aware that Haiti is you know not some country that is going to be plagued with just uh, any effective systems, now we have a chance to actually build. And and that's where that that's where most of the I think right now the help is going is needed. Is how to help this country build on its own. Absolutely. Yeah. And um I, I I would like to see more groups that are focused like yours on infrastructure and actually getting people trained and helping them to help themselves in um small cottage industries that are there now that really focus around be rebuilding the country itself that can also be uh, a a lasting um you know, task even after the country is um back on its feet again. Yeah. yeah. And it's very possible. A lot of experts are saying that it may take Haiti 20 years to get back to where it was. And a lot of us who know what Haiti what Haiti was before the earthquake, we're, we're saying that I hope, you know, within 20 years where we realize that we cannot afford for Haiti to go back to where it was. And this is why I've been mm-hmm. urging folks of my generation to actively get involved in, uh, in Haiti's reconstruction so that 20 years from now, Haiti is not back to where it was, but Haiti has done what it did before, which is set – an example on how um, on how a country should should run because in the early 80s 70s Haiti was Haiti, you know Haiti was one of the richest islands in the Caribbean and I think mm. Haiti can get back there it's just a matter of now you know holding people accountable and that's the biggest issue right now in Haiti is holding people accountable there are some things that should take 45 minutes but it takes three weeks or three months to get done in Haiti. Mm. It's it's really just that getting all of us to focus on getting these systems implemented so that it's less about personalities but more about outcome. Yeah, and, and some people have to to really change their mindset too and and focus on Haiti in the way that they feel that they have a vested interest and in, not just um, you know stopping this tragedy and trying to rebuild from that, but being vested in it after the fact as well and looking at it as an opportunity for entrepreneurs out there and business people as well to be able to um, start from scratch and, you know, hopefully build an empire there as well. Oh, Haiti means big mountains. And right? when I was in Haiti in, uh, in September, I kept thinking like, wow, I went to Costa Rica a few years ago for vacation and we did a lot of zip lining, a lot of different things. I kept thinking, why can't Haiti have some of these same activities 
mm-hmm. that other countries have, have had to help them, you know, rebuild their economy. I think this is the time when for a lot of us to really think of, you know, re- remove the, the mystique out out of governing and, and, and reinstall the, the, the systems that keep our country here in this, our country, when I say our country, I mean the United States, um, keep us going. And, you know, I always tell people that you stopping at a red light is a, uh, is an example of an infrastructure that works. Um, and we need to get some of these basic things in Haiti. Uh, and, mm-hmm. I, and I think when you start doing these basic things, you're creating jobs because someone has to actually maintain the red lights. Now someone mm-hmm. has to maintain the road. You know, as you start to do these things, uh, on a regular basis, again, accountability standards that are comparable to what we have here in the States. And we, that's how we should start thinking about Haiti. And this is how we should, as we're giving out aid to the Haitian government, we, those are the kind of pillars we need to pull from whatever plan that they're offering uh, when they're asking for our resources. Now, what is it going to take to, to, to understand actually how the money is being used there, too, and to, to make sure that it is being used in a way that's not just going to run out, but is a rebuilding process where they're creating an economy that will eventually um, flourish there. Well, you know what? We live we live in a world where, you know, I, the, the majority of Haitian youth who have access to electricity uh, and who know how to, you know, read or put a few words together are on Facebook. And I think we could follow what we did here in the States with, when uh, President Obama passed a stimulus package, which is set up a website to see how every dollar is spent. Haitians, mm-hmm. you know, recently had an election on November 28th, and for the first time we had a televised presidential debate. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, we're there is just right now is letting people in Haiti know that these standards that we have in other places in the States or Canada New or uh or France is not just for places outside of Haiti. We could bring the same things to Haiti. More cell phone companies in Haiti are putting more towers now because they're re- recognizing that you know um, Haitians don't need house phones. Like a lot of people in the states, we don't you know we don't have landlines. A lot of us here. So I think as we as we introduce systems to Haiti in a way that it's not just for the elites, but it's for everyone. I think you'll see the country start to re, start to get itself in a direction where it can control and govern itself, where it won't need, you know, like, for example, the United Nations has been in Haiti, I think, since probably 2004. And it doesn't mm-hmm. look like they're, you know, getting, they're leaving anytime soon, where a lot of people that are in the country um, call it occupation and they want them out. And I think right now, um, uh, whether or not they're there, that's not the question. The question is how do we promote safety, stability in the country, and what does it take, and and how do we get that answered? And one of the ways is holding the government accountable. And mm-hmm. every dollar we give to the government, we need to know where it goes. And that's never been a question that was that the Haitian government really had to answer. It didn't have to answer to anyone. Right. And right now is re, is reminding people in in, in the government in Haiti that. It is not a, a lifetime appointment. God didn't put you there. You're an elected official. You're a public servant. Um, it's emphasizing public servant. Uh, that's how we could get this government moving in a way that more people will feel comfortable with it. And um, we in the states as well, we need to see more 
of um, not just the same situation over and over again in, in its um, pitiful state. We need to see some progress. We we need to see that um, there is clean water. We need to see that there are hospitals being built in schools, you know, and um, that needs to be emphasized over and over again as well. Progress so that people feel that they're, you know, a part of something that is changing, that is growing, that is helping. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's what, and that's one of the biggest things we need from our friends uh, who live outside of Haiti. It's, it's, it's demanding those types of accountability measures up. So the Red Cross, for example, should have the same ticker. And, and I, I remember reading a while ago, when the immediately after the earthquake, I used to check their website on a regular basis. Um, and I haven't done that in a while, uh, in the past two or three months or so, to see what kind of progress they've made in showing, in, in, in being transparent in how they're, spending the, um, the dollars that they raised in Haiti. I think those are the types of um, trumpets we want sounding everywhere, is how do we remind people doing work in Haiti that we're all holding them accountable, not just the Haitian government that we want to hold accountable. Hey, like I mentioned earlier, we have thousands and thousands of nonprofits, nonprofits in Haiti kind of doing their own thing. We want to know, you know, what which, which section of the major, of the blueprint are they going to focus on? Or do we need, you know, everyone you talk to nowadays, they want to open up an orphanage in Haiti. <laughs> and I'm like, well, <laughs> it's just there are so many other areas where we need resources to go into. Uh, you know, it's just there, there are a lot of parents who can't educate their kids. It's just, do we need more? It's sometimes you'll have parents knowing that people are, you know, building orphanages, they you give them more of an incentive not to figure out ways to raise their children because they know that the foreigners will build something that was going to raise the kids for them. So it's just really giving Haiti control over its own territory rather than coming at it from this very imperial approach, like we have the answers. The answers are there in Haiti. The problem has been that no one's been um, forced to, to ask the right questions or to present people with the right opportunities. Now, our job, I believe, when for the people living outside is really saying, I'm going to hold on to my penny until I see exactly what you're going to do with this and how this fits in a major plan. Mm, wow. Well, that's heavy, you know. And um, I, I hope it, people it, it, really... It's hard work out there. It's, it's very overwhelming. Yeah, and uh, I really hope people really understand the gist of what we're trying to say is you can't accept what you hear about through media. You really have to to plug in and find out what's going on for yourselves and and make a um make a habit of checking back too in those resources that you found and we just gave you a great resource here. Now, Muno, tell people too how they can get in contact with you. You gave us your Facebook page. Make sure you have your website and if someone needs to contact you directly, they've got an idea or something that they feel that might be helpful um let them know how they can get in contact with you. Uh, absolutely. Well, they could do one of several things, which is definitely reach out to us on Facebook, which is, you know, you do that, those are keyword searches with Kozenu, uh, K-O-Z-E-N-O-U on Facebook, or you can send me an email at Kozenu at gmail.com. Um, that's easy enough. It's K-O-Z-E-N-O-U at gmail.com. And any ideas, any approaches that someone has, if they want to travel to Haiti with us again, uh, we'd love that. We're, um, we're probably going to go back in February or March um, to to uh, do some more assessments. If someone has an expertise that they believe uh, Haiti can benefit from, let's let's talk about it. When we went to Haiti in uh, in April, we brought a lot of 
professionals with us who came back with a lot of ideas on how to help Haiti. There are some of them who've actually gone back and did some stuff on their own, and they've adopted universities, um, adopted small businesses to show them how to do import and export. There are a number of things going on, and right now, as we're working hard to reintroduce folks to Haiti, we're looking for all the help we can we can get. So, sending me an email um, is probably the quickest way to get get to me. Uh, I respond to all of them uh, as early as I can. We, we have a, a rule that within 24 hours we get a response. So, cozynu at gmail dot com. Awesome, man. And um, we look forward to having you back on again um, before you go, after you get back, and just keep us abreast of what's going on. And um, I'm connected, so everybody that's a Facebook friend of mine, they can look up uh, Muno on uh, Facebook and connect with him as well. And um, make sure that you, you know, do a little research on your own and find out exactly um, the questions you might have. And if you don't find answers out there, be sure to contact Muno. And if you have an idea, um, really put it to paper and, um, you know, just see. You know, you never know. Someone else may have had that idea already. Maybe your idea needs a little tweak or two. But the fact of the matter is, is um, people need to be focused. They need to pay attention. And um, if we don't, um, they will fall by the wayside, you know, and we, we can't really allow that to happen again. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. And, you know, and, and a lot of people are moving with their hearts because they're seeing these kids are hungry. They're seeing families living under tents. And they just, you know, a lot of people rightly so, are giving money, but you're right. It's just by asking more questions, the dollar that you give will go much further. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also finding people, like you said, again, who are directly connected. So money is yeah. not tied up in an organization that may take some time to get to them, but people who have a, a timetable and a plan who are going to be on the ground and connect with the people. You know, those are things that are very important. And people who have been active long before and, will, you know, are dedicated to this effort. Because if you're in the mix right now, the um, the hoopla is over with, you know. Now is the time for people to really, you know, get their hands dirty and and really commit themselves. And um, if you're in it right now, you know, you you really don't have much going for you but the efforts that you sort of um, gather up on your own. You're you're absolutely correct. And and I really want to thank you for for the chance, Michael, to talk with your listeners. Uh, and, And I know just by having this conversation with you, more people are thinking about, um, Haiti and how they can help, and, and I really encourage them. I'm not everyone doesn't need to call me, but if you've been already working with an organization that's doing work in Haiti, really just kind of ask them questions when they send you a newsletter or anything. Email them back. You know, ask them exactly where in Haiti they're working in. Like, what's their mm. plan? Because you know, Haiti is a country, not a state. Um, it's in, you know, if they're just focusing on Port-au-Prince, ask them why Port-au-Prince and. Why not somewhere else? Not that Port-au-Prince doesn't need any help, but really just getting more people to to think about how to engage um, assistance in Haiti. Um, and that's really been the things that we're, those of us who are going back to do work. And that's one of the reasons we started doing our own work. And, you know, a few weeks ago you interviewed um, one of the organizations that I'm a board member on, which is uh, Kainu. Um, and that's one of the ways that Kainu did um that's their approach. You know, they adopted that school in Haiti, and they've been doing a lot of work through the uniform drive that we brought tents, um, and we collaborated with other organizations. Um, so that's really what we're asking people to do is, you know, go further than just giving money. Ask mm-hmm. them. 
ask whoever you're dealing with some specific questions because, you know, it's you have nine to ten million people living in Haiti. So Haiti is about the size of Maryland, but we know Maryland is not the, one of the smallest states we have. It's, it's, a, it's a decent sized state with some decent sized communities, and Haiti is similar to that. We have decent sized communities that require some specific skills and specific expertise that um, some organizations are can provide, but they haven't been um, kind of, I don't want to say pressured, but haven't been receiving incentives to go outside of the basics, outside of this building orphanages. Right now you have a lot of organizations going to Haiti looking to find different ways to attack the deforestation that's, um, you know, killing the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of green movement, green initiatives going on in Haiti right now. Um, these are the, some of the things that were born out of people asking some specific questions about where, how far can my dollar go outside of this you know, um, doing something on Port-au-Prince or just de- dealing with um, orphans. Um, so there's there's a lot of help that's needed. It's just we want folks to kind of just, just just give us a few more minutes uh, before they write the check and just kind of ask them specific questions. Wow, that's great. Well, thank you, Luna. I'm, you know, I just applaud you for your work and what you've done and what you're planning on doing and your passion about your country. And um, I, I just wish you all the best. And you just let me know anything that I can do. If you are putting together any events in the um, DMV, just let me know. I'll, I'll be happy to do my part and whatever I can do to help out. Thank you very much, Mike. And um, again, Happy New Year to you and your family. And I look forward to reconnecting with you. All right. Well, thank you again, Muno, and we will talk with you real soon. All right. Have a good day. You too. If I may paraphrase Stephen King, the most important things are the hardest things to say. These are the things you feel ashamed of because mere words only diminish the thought. You see, words shrink things that seem limitless when they were in our hearts and minds too no more than just living size when brought out into the open. Oh, but it's more than that, isn't it? You see, the most important things lie too close to wherever your secret heart is buried. Like landmarks to a treasurer, your enemies would love to steal away and use against you at the worst possible moment. But still, you make revelations that cost you dearly only to have people look at you like you're crazy, not understanding what you've said at all or why you thought it was so important that you almost cried when you were saying it. Do you know what's even worse than that? Is when the secret stays locked within and you can't get it out, not for want of the courage to talk about it, but for want of someone who will just listen. Just listen. As someone who spends a great deal of time searching for the truth, the lesson that I've learned from this quote is, if you want the truth, you have to be prepared to release all judgment and be open enough to hear and accept the truth in whatever form it might take. Judgment alters the truth by changing how it's told or presented. Not accepting the truth stops the bearer from sharing the truth. Ignoring the truth kills ambition and is a recipe for disaster and makes success impossible.
We all over the years have learned to guard ourselves against deception, but I've also come to realize that in most cases, you don't even have to discover or discern the truth. You just have to let it be and see it for what it is. Maybe you have a story too. It doesn't have to be just like the one we've heard. Hey, I just want to let you know, I'm here, and I'm willing to listen. All I ask from you is a measure of truth. You've been listening to another episode of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. Special thanks to producer Donna Hardiman. I'm Michael Fordham, and we'll see you next week. But before you go, here, ask God with me. But no, that's a couple of situations, good or bad, friends. Watch your thoughts. They become perfect. Watch your actions, they become habits. And watch your habits, they become your character. 
And what? It becomes your destiny. Until we meet again, take care. What? Oh. Of you.